Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to remind you that the show is also available on YouTube. And starting from episode number 101, it's all in 4K. I'm trying to make the best video podcast I can, so definitely check it out and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Go to youtube.com slash at progressionspod or hit the link in the show notes. If you're not getting enough progressions and you want to get even more thoughts on creativity, productivity, and growth in music, then you should sign up for my newsletter. You'll find a brief article in each monthly edition as well as updates on progressions and myself. I'm also sharing some workflow hacks and links to stuff that I found interesting or helpful. So it should be fun. If you want to stay up to date on the latest and get all the bonus stuff, go to travisferrance.com slash subscribe or click the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome to Progressions, Success in the Music Industry. I'm your host, Travis Ferentz, and this is episode number 15. The interview this week is a little longer than our usual, so I'm going to try to keep this open short and to the point because I know how valuable your time is. That is also why I greatly appreciate you spending it with me every week, so thank you. Today, I wanted to rant about influence, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. We are all constantly being influenced by the world around us, and likewise influencing those around us as well. I think the idea of influence in music is very well understood. We've all heard our favorite artists do interviews where they talk about the other artists and people that have influenced their careers. So we'll stray from music a bit, and let's talk about influence in the broader sense. To a certain extent, influence defines everything we do. You buy a product because of the influence of marketing. You play piano a particular way because of the influence of an artist. You believe in a cause or a foundation because of the influence of its leaders and programs. And you likely even decide whether or not to drive the speed limit due to the influence of the drivers around you. See, influence can and will affect you in both positive and negative ways. In this world that is so heavily revolving around exerting your influence over others, it's never been more important to know what your core values are and to stick to them. You have to choose what sources of influence you accept and which ones you don't. What voices around you will support your goals? What influences are making a positive impact in your life? These are the types of things that you want to take and put into your influence bucket. That's right, I said influence bucket. Anyway, don't forget, what works in a positive way for you might not work for someone else, and that's fine to each their own. See, you have to make choices in your career and live the life that you want regardless of what your peers around you are doing and regardless of what the world is saying. Valuing the approval of your peers, or the world in general, is a sneaky kind of influence. I'd even call it a type of self-influence, because you are allowing yourself to make decisions based on what others might think. They aren't even necessarily telling you what you're doing is right or wrong, but they are still influencing you. It's important that you avoid this type of influence just as much as the more obvious traditional negative influences that might come to mind. Okay, so if all of that is your influence inbox, then we for sure need to address your outgoing influence. You have some level of influence over the world around you, whether you believe that to be true or not. So how are you using that influence? Are you using your sphere of influence to make positive change in the world around you? Or are you using your influence for your own gain only? Now, to pause and clarify, I don't want marketing to get mixed up in a category of negative influence. 
Yes, marketing is a form of trying to influence someone in your favor, but the root of it is what are you selling? Are you a manufacturer selling a faulty product with a difficult return policy? Or are you a nutrition coach helping people live a healthier lifestyle? This goes back to your core values. Are the intentions behind the marketing good or bad? So all I'm saying is to know that you have influence in everything that you do. So don't belittle your competitors to your clients. Don't discipline your collaborator for how they recorded something. Instead, show up and bring a positive influence. Acknowledge that there are other talented people that might get a gig that you wanted. Work to support and make your collaborators better and encourage people to take chances and to push themselves. So in closing, choose and accept the influence from the world around you that aligns with your own values and your own path and exert influence out into the world that will encourage and support others in their journey. Today's guest is Detroit-based producer, mixer, and mastering engineer, Noel Jackson. Noel has worked on countless projects across the entire electronic music landscape. He's worked with labels including Warner Records, Super Freak, and Records, and with artists such as David Guetta, Kevin Saunderson, and Mr. C. And that is only how he spends part of his time. The rest of his day is spent as an engineer, the computer kind, a user experience designer, and a hacker. He's been an early adopter of everything internet and has been at the forefront of that world since 1998. He's best known there for his work with Automatic, which is the company behind WordPress, as well as his work with Gawker Media and Jeffrey Zeldman. So many things to cover, so let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Noel Jackson. Hey, Noel. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Good, man. How are you today? I'm doing very good. It's a wonderful winter day here in Detroit. Is it getting gnarly cold up there yet? You know, it never gets like deathly cold in, in Detroit, maybe for a few weeks there. Uh, but usually it's a nice snow, like a nice pretty snow, and then next day it melts away. So um, can't complain. Okay. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, I'm stoked because uh, we've been, got to know each other through Damien, and we've been chatting on uh, Complete Producer Network. Uh, for anybody that's not hanging out there, they should be. Uh, and it, everything that you you bring up on there, just makes me think, I was like, Noel's going to be perfect. I just have to get him on the show. So I'm really glad we can make this happen and that you were down for it. Yeah, we don't really know each other. So, I mean, let's dig into like, where, how'd you get into music? Where'd you start? Well, let's see. Well, I think um, back in the day when I was young, young kid, uh, was messing around with some Fruity Loops. That probably was the first foray. And then later on, I got, I got really into um, dance music and... Um, I was also, you know, as as you said, really into computers. And I was really into uh, the Mac OS when it came out, and that was that was about two thousand. So I was really into music, um, was collecting records and and listening to all kinds of stuff. And uh, in my computer user group that I went to when I was uh, I was about I think I was 13, 13, 14, I met someone. Uh, his name's Art Payne. He goes by Art Pump and Payne. And he is a legend in the uh, house techno world. And uh, he grew up, uh, he went went to school with Kevin Saunderson, Derek May, and Juan Atkins. I'm, I know that I'll, I'll get the story wrong, but um, he, he <laughs> taught those he taught those guys how to spin records. So, uh, you know, the, the originators of techno, uh, were learning how to spin records from art pain and, uh, and art and I became friends through, uh, 
our love of the Macintosh computer, which was great. And Art is uh, is one of those DJs that that just can play some records. A really uh, a master of the turntables and kind of a a mystery that no one knows about. A very humble, <laughs> very humble guy. And then you find out this uh, these facts about him, and you're like, wow, okay, I got it. It makes sense. It makes sense. That's. I feel like there's so many people that are uh, like considered you know underground originators of of something that just don't get the credit that they uh deserve yeah yeah definitely so yeah it was the it was the belleville three in detroit that that started techno kevin saunderson Derek may juan atkins and then there's you know eddie folks uh and in detroit area it's just norm talley uh rick wade the the list goes on and on of just some some legendary some legendary people definitely big shout out to stacy hot wax hale uh amazing amazing dj so uh growing up around here i definitely it it connected me with techno and house i think more than if i would have if i would have been anywhere else in the world and from there it really pushed me into wanting to make my own music you know when you're djing you get that thrill, that connection between and the audience and yourself, and it really influences you to want to make music that has a, you know, that emotional connection as well. So I kind of went from there and, and kind of just fell down the rabbit hole and <laughs> started, buying, started buying gear, software, uh, making tons of music, and that I kind of stumbled forward into opening up a uh, vinyl record label called Hypertone. And Hypertone was a, was a vinyl-only label that I opened and ran. Um, be about, uh, it's, over, it's about 12 years ago that the, uh, the last record came out. Um, who knows, it may have a, uh, a resurgence someday. But, uh, <laughs> and that, that ended up connecting me with, with a lot of people uh, just being in the techno world and, and going to, going to lots of shows and forming a lot of really nice relationships. Amazing. I am not up on my, my techno history, like around what year is this and how is like technology shifting that genre? I feel like there was probably at some point a massive change when computers took over and you were getting away from however people were doing it prior or how, how was it going down? Yeah, I you know I think that that's that's kind of the uh, the brilliance of of house and techno music was was that it really was a you know a garage a, a bedroom genre for I mean it's it still really is you know that's and it's it's great because it's it's perfect for that you don't have to record vocals uh, things things mixed in a room that's not so perfect is kind of fine because a lot of clubs don't really sound that great uh you know so it's you you get you know it's it's a very authentic um it definitely yeah it it was starting you know i think people whatever gear that they could get their hands on and whatever they could make with that gear that's what they would do and that's sort of like the um you know the excellence of that genre is that it it is people that have become very resourceful with 
their music making and created some just like monumental pieces of techno music out of with very little with very very little you know comparatively uh i would say there's there's definitely a a big connection there with hip-hop and and kind of the you know the underground bedroom aspect of that too yeah yeah the 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 sampler era of the uh late 80s early 90s were um, it was just classic, all the classic hip hop, not to knock any current hip hop. I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. Even currently, I would say there's a lot of, there's a, re- a lot of reflection in, in, you know, trap um, related genres and electronic music, you know, even the synthesizers, the sounds. Uh, I, I heard a Nicki Minaj track the other day and it was just like straight up um, 303 it almost sounded like a Mantronics uh, record was being sampled, but it, it was just like that. Um, I think if Juan Atkins heard it, he would have uh, it would have put a smile on his face. He probably has heard it. So that connection, um, you know, the, the ease of finding gear, borrowing a synth. Uh, there's a lot of community that, that happens around that process too, where you know people in the area, you know, hey, can I borrow that synth? Um, can I borrow this synth? And uh, <laughs> There's, uh, there's actually, there's, there's a uh, kind of related to, there's, um, a techno history museum, a Detroit techno history museum. And the fine folks that run that, uh, have kind of created a, a community and a space for younger producers to come and create music in, uh, different rooms in that building. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot oh, of, that's cool. a lot of, uh, and borrowing synths and um, you know helping helping each other out and that that kind of thing. So a lot That's of awesome. a lot of really great yeah a lot of really great community in the electronic music world. That's cool. There's um, somebody was telling me about a uh, I don't know what it's called. It's in it's in Australia, and it's basically like a uh, a club, but it's it's a room with you know a- every analog synth that they could get their hands on, and you basically you become a member. And you get X number of hours or something that you can just go in and you can book out like, I need two hours on the ARP 2600 this month or I need, uh, but just the idea that these analog synths have become that and that people are like sharing them is just really cool to me. To have something like that in Detroit or something like that in Australia, some of these collectors that will let you, you know, get in and sample something, but uh, it's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, um, kind of to answer your 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 question that I didn't really answer is <laughs> is that when uh, when Mr. C, my friend, he owned a club called The End in London, and one of the best, if not the best, clubs that existed, and it really was like a, a pioneer in its design and its mission. It was it was an amazing club. It was, uh, tons of people have got their start there and owe him a huge debt of gratitude. But after the end was done and sold, he opened a studio for all of his friends to use, to come and record with. And it was just his gift to the electronic music world and to techno. And uh, kind of around that whole time, it was a big part of his idea to kind of combine these two genres of techno and house into 
genre called tech house because there was a there's a huge split and there kind of there's there still is in, in a lot of areas it's you know there's some house parties and there's some techno parties but you know <laughs> Right. What, what do we do? We want to play both this, or we want to have a sound that's both this tech house. So he, he opened this studio, uh, the watershed. And you really, when, when you're making music, it was that you had a mixer and synthesizers and you were mixing the song and recording the take. So it was in essence, very close to DJing. Right. So these days there's a bit of a disconnect between like why is a dj producing music and some djs are are really not great producers and some producers are really not great djs although they're they both expect you know it's like you're supposed to be a triple threat in hollywood you should be uh right a triple threat if you're going to be a dj but that's that's i think where that connection comes from is that you're you're actually mixing a song live you know dropping the faders dropping the bass and bring this in bring this synth in so that's that's it it's a performance i didn't know that yep that's really cool actually i love that see every time i do an episode of this i get a little bit smarter somewhere but um so at some point you ended up in los angeles i did i did i i went to school in new york so grew up in detroit went to school in new york I went to art school because I thought that I would uh, get away from computers, but that didn't happen. I ended up uh, I ended up opening a, a retouching studio to pay the bills, and uh, was retouching photos and on the computer. I think even more, and uh, <laughs> so that, that that backfired. Uh, then from New York, I I moved back to Detroit for a little while. And then I found myself in uh, at a few parties running into Mr. C. And we first met when he came and played a party in Detroit. And I had uh, been one of the opening acts for the party. Uh, it was kind of like a, a kindred spirits moment where it's like, hey, I, I know you, but I don't know you. And he's a very enigmatic and uh he has an outgoing personality just a, a lovely guy we'll chat and uh and uh get to know just about anybody and so we had a we had an awesome time and then i kept on seeing him pop up at different parties and it just randomly and he uh invited me you know you can come stay uh with with my wife and i at our house and uh for a couple of weeks in la if you want to and i went out there and i was like you know, I, I, I don't know what to expect. And by the time uh, the first week came, I was like, I think I got to move out here. And <laughs> and so I uh, packed up my stuff and about, you know, two and a half weeks later, I was out there. Amazing. So music was the catalyst for Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. But you like, it sounds like throughout your entire life, you've had like one foot going in computer and tech. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely have. I guess... Uh, it's been because I like to, I like to always have multiple things going on, not just mm. not get too lost in one thing and, uh, and kind of never lose track of, of what's happening. Do you have a, uh, is there like, is there like a time limit? I feel like I mentioned it on another episode, but I've had a lot of jobs for like two and a half, three years. Do you, do you like how you do music for a chunk and then you do 
something else for a chunk or you, or you mix it up more than that? It's, it's kind of come out that way. It depends what comes across the table and, and what I can, especially in tech, what I can ethically, uh, involve myself with and what projects really spark my interest. I, I don't, I don't like to just take on, uh, technology work for the sake of putting money in my bank account. That's, that's a really not a great purpose. And I feel like there's a lot of toxicity in the, uh, in the tech world. I think that a lot of people would agree with that. So I try and give back there as much as I can in the, uh, in the best ways possible, because that was a huge, and it still is a huge part of my life. I absolutely love the internet and I especially loved the early internet and all that it stood for. And I, I actually see that, I see that coming back around as well, because when I started out online, I had a blog before they were called blogs. We called them weblogs. And there was a site that actually, when you updated yours, your weblog went to the top of the list. And there were about, I think it started to max out, went to like 500. And we were like, oh my gosh, there's 500 weblogs. This is crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, and I was 13 years old. I was friends with Matt Mullenweg. God bless Matt for making WordPress happen, which he still makes happen. And WordPress is blogging software, for those that don't know. And he pioneered that process. Uh, so... Growing up in that time, it was really that everybody that had a weblog, they, they might not have been someone that was into technology in the same way. Maybe they weren't, you know, a an engineer, quote unquote. It was because everything was very new and it was more of a community that almost everyone knew each other on the different weblogs and you would leave comments and the comments were like actual discussions, you know, like, yeah. I mean, it's great actual discussion on the like, internet, like actual discussions in the comments, uh, people actually helping each other out. So that, that whole idea of being a creator is really, I believe fundamentally what carries the internet along and we ran into you know, the the walled gardens that we have these days of of you know Facebook fortune, the Instagrams, etc. Uh, I, I don't dog it too much because I feel like it's it's a beast that's grown uh, to uncontrollable proportions. But I I do feel like ultimately, and I think we see this in in so many ways, you know, with all these different platforms that this is the beginning of a change where creators will not only start to to lead much more on the internet but they'll be a, a catalyst for change in the platforms and you see it with you know on all spectrums you know patreon uh there's you know circle uh, a new platform for creators uh gumroad which has has helped people sell uh, goods, digital goods, really easily. Uh, and then you got you've got your your OnlyFans, 
yeah, which is is uh, that you know far far corner of the internet, but but still, I think really points back to the fact that people want to connect with the creators that they enjoy on the internet, and I think we're seeing that also the creators really want to find a way to to be individuals and connect with their their audience with with their people. So if you're enjoying this episode, then please consider pulling your phone out, tapping that share button and sending this to one person that you think would enjoy it. Obviously, it would be huge for me, but it could be even more game changing for that person. You just never know what can inspire or help someone else out. I want to take a second to tell you about Secret Sonics, a podcast by Ben Wallach and Carl Bonner. Secret Sonics is one of my favorite shows, and it's now double amazing with the addition of Carl Bonner as a co-host. Ben and Carl have teamed up to discuss the real-world trials and triumphs of music production. They cover it all from mixing and studio tricks to branding and mindsets. If you're a fan of progressions, you'll be a fan of Secret Sonics. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts or hit the link in the show notes. I had a, uh, there's so much in there I was trying to digest. Oh, yeah, digest sorry, it all. sorry. I, so you knew Matt when, when he was starting WordPress. You were you said you were 13. Was he also 13? You guys are... So yeah, he's he's a little bit older than I am, and we were we were friends around that time. So the, actually, WordPress was not in existence until several 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 years later. I, let's see, about four four or five four years four years I think I knew him, and then there were there was the beginning of WordPress, which WordPress uh, was actually a software project called B two first, which was open source and then was converted or forked into uh, what is now known as WordPress. And at the time, there were not many options for blogging. There was there was movable type. And then I, I believe at the time, uh, Ev Williams had created Blogger. I'm not sure if Google had not bought Blogger by that time. I, I don't believe. So there were... Um, you know, it was just kind of like in its infancy of like, well, hmm, should we be making all these HTML pages by hand or, or is there like a, is there a, a system, is there, is there some kind of system that can help us do this? And, uh, and the, uh, the first systems were, were a little, were a little rough around the edges, um, as it, as it may be. So, yeah, it was, it was the beginning. It was the beginning. It was it was blogs. You know, I I actually I I when when someone first had the term blogs, I was just blown away. I I didn't like that word. I was like, no, it's you know, it's, it's, it's the internet's job to shorten something. They they took weblog and crushed it together into blog the same way that you know, uh, right? Yeah, they shorten everything. But that's that's crazy that um, he was so young and to be forward thinking like that and like. Just having the wherewithal at that age to do something like that is really impressive. Um, I think that's really cool. You know, I see it. I just I see a lot of you know odd ageism in in all different industries, and and uh, I actually saw just yesterday a younger person was uh, has developed a, an amazing piece of software that probably powers more websites than you would ever imagine and people kind of uh like laugh about this person being younger and and i believe when they started the project they were 17 and i just thought to myself they were 17 i mean they that's what does it matter what age they were and if 
if in school you are you are learning calculus and algebra, you know, what does it matter what age you are? And I I find that there's sort of it's kind of been it's almost been stolen from young people the this freedom because at that time it was like the the internet is something that like we don't we don't validate so therefore like it is for kids so if you're really young and you make something like oh it's you know it's kids on the internet doing something you know and then like you know you blink your eye and and uh 10 years later you know, automatic is this fantastic amazing company you know worth i don't know two billion plus and yeah you know i see these things happen with the younger kids now and i just think you guys should you should think a little bit more about this before you start talking about people being young making things because it's it's really and i you know with with music with everything it's just at a younger age you have that freedom to just dig into something without any fear and and holding on to that is just i think that's i think that's one of the greatest things that you can do is just think of yourself as younger i mean what do you have to lose really and as you get older you you get all these false senses of security that you know you gotta you gotta have a job to earn a paycheck but really you can get fired the next day too so yeah it's it's almost you should live your whole life feeling like you're 14 15 capable of doing whatever you want just you know put the effort in that's it totally it's well and you also you you're not as uh influenced mm-hmm. it's like you've never encountered somebody that told you your idea was bad you just have an idea and to be able to execute that is is awesome but yeah you as you get older you start to um you start to meet the expectations of everybody around you yeah you know it's um it, and also there wasn't there really wasn't the idea that like i we're gonna make this and this is just gonna blow up and 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 i'm going to become a billionaire you know right like it's 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 that these days people are looking at i'm gonna make a startup and like i have to be what my company has to be worth a billion dollars otherwise it's a failure that's that's the toxicity that's that's you know overcome the the technology world and and i think creators and also younger developers and a change in the investment environment will make that sway back a little bit in a, in a better direction, I believe. I, uh, I agree from, <laughs> I have an outsider's perspective. Obviously, you know more about that history than I do. It's a, it's uh, almost, it's a, it's I, a better I, perspective to have, I think, in, in some ways. <laughs> it, uh, I do see, I can see people's reactions to the way that the internet you know, functions now and what the purpose of it is. I mean, you know, one of the reasons that like I enjoy Damien's network because it's all, it's all positive people supporting each other, asking questions. And your description of the early internet sounds like it reminds me of that. It's really, you know, simply in essence, I believe it's a, it's the scaling issue. So, you know, you have a conversation, uh, two people, it's very easy to take care of. You had in a third person, now you got to have this this roundabout type of communication. Add add one more person in, and the level of complexity for that conversation, and and then the uh, mental 
overload that takes place when those conversations scale up. It's just, it doesn't function well. And you see that, you see that kind of like in in a fundamental way in threaded conversations online. Twitter conversations are, do not, like you cannot track that. It does not, it ends up breaking down to like, here's a one-to-one and then here's like somebody's side comment that gets completely ignored. And I feel like that, you know, Facebook communication, even when you start breaking it down into these Facebook groups, once they get over a certain number of people, it's not sustainable. It, It doesn't, doesn't carry the same values that it once wanted to. So yeah. that's it. That's that's really what it is. And uh, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah. You're totally right. When you have a one-on-one conversation with somebody, the more you expand it, to, the more diluted and complicated any anything becomes. Right. Because you know, in yeah. real life, like a, a big party, you you have people split off into clusters, essentially. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So everything everything is sort of just organically forms into these smaller little groups and their own little ecosystems. So that's, I think that's a, that, that is a a challenge that needs to be solved. And I've been involved in some projects that, that try to address that, but, but overall it's, I think naturally the internet will, will pull back there. And, and that's really where it's more, where it's more fun and, and you get more value out of it. And, and people, you know, they essentially, they, they need that sense of community. They, they want it. And when it feels more authentic, when it's real, then it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. To jump way back when you were talking about, uh, you know, creators having interaction with the creators of the content kind of being like the root of what you really loved about the early internet. And then you mentioned like Patreon and stuff. I see that stuff coming back now with, you know, everything, everything seems to be becoming more interactive with like the live streams and, you know, the, the Patreons and the GoFundMes and uh, discords. I I do feel like people are, they're kind of, they want to be more involved with the people that are making something that they're enjoying than I think they were maybe five years ago. Do you think that's like um, a product of uh, some of what you're talking about and a product of like having all of these outlets like like Twitch and Discord and and everything. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. The tools have have shifted. There's more tools that are available now that fit that that mold uh a little bit, a little bit better. And I think people got sick of of the the facade that Facebook and and the larger social networks have. And, yeah. and that, that feeling of, oh, I'm, I'm being social. There's all these people, we're all interacting, but at the same time, completely feeling isolated and alone. That it's, fundamentally, it's unhealthy. It's not good for you. It's, it's clear. There's, there's studies been done. You know, Facebook does not promote mental health. Uh, and... So I think it's, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a natural response to, to what was put out there and what people were using and, and finally finding their way back to, okay, yeah, you know what, 
I actually, this is what I'm interested in. I'd, I'd like to know more about this and, and, and maybe, maybe the biggest group of people or the most popular thing or, you know, what have you, isn't what I want. Maybe what I want is, you know, to feel like I belong and have a group of friends and, and, uh, help each other out be there, you know, community. It's really what it comes down to. I was watching Dave Chappelle on the new Letterman series that, that's on Netflix. and Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that yet. And that's, he echoed exactly the same sentiment that, that, you know, where he lives in Ohio, it's all about community and that that's what we need to bring back. Agree. I mean, I think the, uh, the internet has made everything more communal, but more divided. You know what I mean? It's like everything is shoved together, but like you said, everybody has gone to their their side groups at the party. I wanted to uh, I wanted to tack a little bit to uh, your. I read a couple of the articles that you have up on your website right now, and really, what we should do is we should pause and I should read these things to people because the few articles you have up there are really really good. They just like I feel like they tie into a lot of some of the stuff I've really been into and I, I really want some of our audience to to take away from the conversations that I have with people. But you had an article called uh, the uh, IO for your cerebral cortex and you mentioned that our minds need clean input to obtain clean output. And I read the article, so I know the the background of that. I would love to chat on that if you're down to elaborate for our audience. Yeah. In a way it's, it's, uh, it's, can be distilled in, into sort of one simple idea, which is your signal to noise ratio. That's part of it. Bringing the audio geek back. Right. And, but for me, I, I do feel like there is a, a little bit of a different way of looking at it that we come across so much information and our brains, our brains function in a, in a, in a way that is a mystery to us uh, for the most part. And our subconscious controls so much of our lives and so much of what we do. Every piece of junk that you put into your mind is not to be forgotten because it, it's, it's junk going in. And you get junk going in, you're going to have to clean more up to not have junk going out. And you see, I think, I think a lot of people feel that they don't get a lot done. They're on the internet, they're on their phones, they're just getting barraged with so much information and so much of it is just absolute junk. Oh, completely, Com complete junk. So <laughs> I, I guess from where, where I come from, where all of this kind of thinking starts, you know, aside from just having a healthy brain, uh, wanting to, wanting to be productive. There's a guy named Buckminster Fuller and he was, he was a futurist. He was an inventor. He actually has a day in Los Angeles named after him and it is integrity day. I think most famously he is known for the geodesic dome and which is the Epcot Center. But okay. he wrote several books, has recorded 
hundreds of hours of audio interviews, just tremendously amazing work. One book in particular, it's, it's not very long and I feel like a very under, underlooked book is Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth, which just sounds incredible. Right. It just, or it's not, I mean, <laughs> it, it sounds, it sounds wacky at first, but the idea is that everybody is, is on spaceship earth together and, and we must do all that we can in every area to keep this spaceship operating <laughs> at a, at optimal capacity, efficiency and integrity. And his focus was that you should have integrity in everything that you do. So you should, as a person, have integrity in your actions, your thoughts, and the structure of your day. And those things that you build should have integrity. So the structures that you build should have integrity. And if we make integrity the focus, then everything else follows along. I found that to be pretty tremendous and a very very easy way to just say, all right, you know, does this have integrity? Yes or no? And that will guide you along every step of the way. And it removes a lot of these other innocuous questions. In Detroit, actually, if you go to the Henry Ford Museum, you can go and see the Buckminster Fuller future home. And it is this kind of like saucer, flying saucer-esque half dome type thing that sits on a pole and can spin a little bit if the wind comes. It's raised up so that if, if water were to flood the area, it's not there. Uh, you know, it won't, won't hurt the home. Uh, it can be built really easily. And then you go inside and it has all these closets. This is, this is something built in the, in the 1950s, which uh, 1954, I would say, is like the most brilliant year for design inventions, like pretty much hands down. It's hard to beat that year, but this this is one one hell of a home and rotating closets everything just uses exactly the space that it needs everything's just perfectly set so he was he was the man that that had the plan for humanity you know humanity's dwellings uh interactions of humans and uh yeah just He's he's a fascinating guy and he really he really helped me to to figure out, you know, what should I be doing with my life and what kind of person should I be? Yeah. I'm definitely going to check uh check him out. I know the name, but I don't I don't know anything about it. Um but that the his the whole integrity thing is so um powerful and I think that a lot of people don't they don't really try to uphold themselves to full integrity unfortunately and they don't realize that maybe they aren't doing it because life has become so cluttered and so confusing that like you don't really sometimes i think unfortunately it's hard to tell whether you're contributing positively to a situation or negatively i think it's one of those it's one of those things that if you if you can if you can keep that idea in mind and and approach things that way it it makes it a lot easier for you to throw away the things and remove the things that don't have integrity 
So even even if you're working on music, which that's what we're, we were talking about, right? That's where we started. <laughs> it's, you know, you can run across the mix and and know that parts of it are kind of just a hack like this is not this is not working and and i think uh you know you could easily waste a lot of time on something that you know is is not done the right way it lacks integrity you know it doesn't uphold itself really it doesn't yeah. it doesn't have the support that it needs so find a way to give it to give it that support and delete what you need to delete to make the song work and have integrity right. that's it well i think it all also the uh like you talked about you know having integrity in the work that you take i mean you can be out of integrity if you're just taking if you're just taking a mix or taking a production just for money just for the dollars they're they're not going to get your hundred percent because you're not passionate about it yeah that's absolutely i think what happens Is, to a lot i think that that's what happens to a lot of people and and they don't then they, they wake up one day wondering wondering why why do i feel this way why is my life not how i how i want it to be and yeah. it's kind of like you know chasing you know, chasing things that that aren't contributing to the integrity of your life you know not to beat a dead horse but uh, <laughs> that's that's how it is yeah it's doing the is right there, thing uh, yeah exactly do the right thing is there anything that you've taken away from, because you also do like user experience design stuff with the internet. Are there things that you've taken from that realm of thinking and applied to your music to, to kind of get it across to people or to market your music? Is there any like cross-pollination of your worlds that, um, or either way, like does music influence your, your tech work or, or vice versa? Yeah, uh, that's 100%, 100%. Engineering is engineering. So if you if you are if you are making a song, if you're if you're programming, if you are building a studio, doing acoustical engineering, everything connects, and it's all about process. It's all about the organization of your process, and I would say, especially from from coming, you know, early on, I would say my background was, was design. That's really, it was like the fundamental place that, that I connected with. And, and it was because of the structure and the engineering that is design. And the fact that engineering is both an art and a science that's what I, I really find beautiful about engineering on a whole is that it is an art and, and a science. So design is, is really all about structure. It's about understanding how to communicate, how to arrange things appropriately so that they communicate what you want to the people that you would like to speak to. And I find that that's basically a mirror to creating music is arranging things in the right place in the right order the right time with the right construction to the sound to the song for who it is intended for 
and it, it may be it may be intended to be perceived uh, differently by different people. It may have a focused audience that you're working for uh, to you're working towards conveying the idea to them more easily. So those things are are just I don't know if you'd say two sides of the same coin, but but very closely related. All the engineering work really is actually. So yeah, that you know, computer computers and technology design, you know, uh, development, all these things that that they're that they're so different from one another, and and they're really not. And being able to being able to open your mind and dig into other stuff is not just fulfilling, but I think a a, a demand of the world, but also something that you need to do so that you can understand the specific thing that you are working on better. It's the cross-pollination of understanding, you know, if we go, you know, music and graphic arts and acoustics, you know, electronics, everything really will help you to understand something else. So fundamentally, I feel like you can say, you know, everything breaks down to the design of it. Yeah, that is put together really well. I mean, it's so it's so true. It's like when you're um, when you're composing a piece of music or you're sound designing something, you need to understand what the listener is looking for and then what you're trying to get them to notice in that moment. You yeah, know, or and it's, and, it's uh, very much intention. Intention, yeah, and and then I think we had this conversation uh, once about like you know, expectations as well. Like, you know, breaking someone's expectation, it might be more impactful. Like if they're expecting the guitar solo or they're expecting to click somewhere and go to some page, you can really make an impact if you understand what they want to do, what you want them to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a huge part of music and it's a huge part of technology and also you know falling back into DJing that it's a lot of trying to understand other people's desires and what they think they want and what they actually want are usually <laughs> are usually two very different things <laughs> and totally. the the element of surprise of receiving that which fulfills you that you did not know you wanted but now you need is a pretty miraculous event oh yeah it's and so powerful actually you know i don't i don't want to go back to like the toxicity of the internet but while you were saying that, I thought about like getting a like on a Facebook photo like 15 years ago. They, nobody knew they were going to enjoy that. And then here they are, like now people are addicted to it. That was a design too. That was yeah. that was designed. And I, at first, I, I, know, you know, I know the story of the design and I know of the designer. I, I don't know them personally. I, I remember when that design did come out and it's kind of funny to think like hold on this like a, a like like a like button or a heart this was like this was a design but the, you, you know, we didn't have these things 
this was this was an invention and as everybody's talking about these days there's a documentary on netflix called the social dilemma and i definitely recommend it if you let it it will it'll open your eyes just a little bit to to what goes on that documentary has a lot in it about why things are shifting and will shift more to focus on independent creators these monolithic and you know really i would say walled gardens where if you aren't paying for something you are the product that's that's uh i think that's kind of the wizard behind the curtain has been revealed to to a lot and as soon as it's yeah you know, fully seen that that's what what occurs i think the shift will kind of have an avalanche yeah to go back to you were talking about design would you take the opinion i think this applies to music technology and whatever would you take the opinion that a really good designer understands more about people than they do about what someone would think is design of like this color and this shape and this this action gives you this. It's it's not really about that. It's more about the people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. It really is. And the greatest designers were the minimalists that understood the balance of, of form and function. A great designer knows when, when to put one in priority over the other and how to use how to use those different aspects of something and, and to, to design for the most utility possible. And I think that that, I think that that really reflects back into music production as well, is that how do we make the, you know, this, the utility of this song, how do we, how do we increase that? That's, that's really what, what a good song is. And and it oh, doesn't yeah. it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, that it's uh, you know more more poppy or it sounds like this or it sounds like that. It's uh, you know a lot of it's that the best songs you know, are most connecting, most emotional. Going back to design, they're just fabulous designers, most amazing designers in the world knew what people wanted and what they would desire and what would be the best balance it's really it's a really incredible when you study design and you come across these minds that have created items uh, one one person in particular that just even influences today the the design of apple would be Dieter Rams and he was a a minimalist designer did a ton of product design for Braun for decades. I'd say yeah. in in the in the probably from the mid fifties to the to late seventies. And the even the new iPhone, the the edges and that sharp front with the beveled cornered edges sort of not not really futuristic, but at the same time it is compared to the last, the 11, the 11 phone was really round. It was kind of slippery, almost like every, yeah. every corner was rounded. It was that, that 
you know, square pebble feel. And if you look back at the brawn calculators, clocks, record players, everything in there, Dieter Rams just did a spectacular job. And you see that in, in Apple's design these days. I, I believe even the Johnny Ives isn't, isn't with Apple anymore um, actively, but I remember that that he was uh, at one point mentioning Dieter Rams in, in an interview somewhere. You, uh, the depth of knowledge that you have on all of these things is, is uh, it's actually leaving me a little speechless. I'm having a hard time uh, oh. <laughs> following well, through. Yeah, that's the, uh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, no, I wouldn't say it's, you know, there's, no, there's, don't a, apologize for that. There's some, there's some things that, that really excited me, uh, in my life and, and continue to excite me. The kind of, that haven't fallen, haven't fallen off, you know, even from like very young age, I was, I was interested in these things. So, well, I think that, you know, it's, it's important to have, you know, clear passions. And I think that people that can take influence from something that is outside of their realm, like you're a musician and a designer and an engineer, you're pulling influence from all of those places. I think that somebody that is just making music that has no grasp of architecture or design or advertising or whatever it is, like like you you mentioned earlier, there's a million things out there that you can pull from. And I think that the greatest creators have shaped their thought from all of their influences. And if your influences are extremely diverse, you're going to have your own unique fingerprint more so than if you're a blues guitar player who listens to BB King and Eric Clapton, you're not going to, you're not going to blow minds. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I would say I, you know, more and more over my life, the, the sooner that I grabbed onto something else that I thought this is something different, found out how, how similar it was and, and how impactful that would be on my current work. That was, that was surprising and it still surprises me. And it's kind of one of those things that like, if you feel friction in your life, sometimes you really need to examine if that friction is good or bad. And sometimes that friction can be, you know, your key to a freedom that you would not have experienced before. To go along with that, I would say there, there's a lot of, I guess, tribalism in in different areas of the arts so design and music uh in particular i would say music and people do get really stuck in one area they make techno music so they listen to techno music and that's all that they listen to yeah which maybe that's totally fine and I, i would never suggest that i have any answers for anything but when I found myself stuck with music and not really happy with what I was producing, I just realized that I was, I was ignoring a lot of the art out there that I should be consuming. And when I started to consume pop music, which in the techno world, if you're listening to pop music, it's just like, God, you are, how uncool are you? You know, like what <laughs> you like? You like Ariana Grande? You like Taylor Swift? What What's wrong with you, Noel? Are you 
should we get you checked in? Like, <laughs> just, you know, for the record, I love Ariana Grande. I think she is the most fabulous, leaves me utterly speechless in, in, in every way. I think she's one of the greatest artists that we have out there. And also the wonderful, and, and of course, I think that this is just like become universal Beyonce, you know, it was like, okay, this is destiny's child. Okay. Okay. You know, which was amazing. Destiny's child was amazing. And now it's just, well, Beyonce's Beyonce. There's no, there's no replacing that, but to go, to go back, you know, on my, my rant about pop, um, but (laughs) diving, diving into that, you just, you learn so much more about music and music production, listening to pop music, which if you think about the design of it, it's something that has, is there's a requirement in it that it needs to be reproducible on systems of a wide variety. There's so much technique involved with the mixing and the recording that it seems daft to ignore looking at pop music if you are working in another genre because it is almost like an ultimate minimalist's approach to the craft of producing music. There's just an infinite supply of ideas and knowledge baked into that genre and other genres and following the whole history of music, really, but opening, you know, expanding yourself and and not getting stuck in in one area is really important. And it's funny to me when you've got, you know, your, your group of producers in, in pop or hip hop or techno, and someone makes a new track that's got, you know, some sample from some uh, jazz record from, you know, the 1950s. And, oh my gosh, like, what is this beat? This is crazy. And, you know, it's all music history. It's, it's yeah. all like, it's all saying, you know, I'm going to explore what the world has to offer and I'm going to take in everything that I can from everybody's experiences. Uh, you know, all of, all of recording, you know, successes, all of the recording mistakes. And I'm going to apply that to what, what I'm trying to create. I think I would say, it wasn't kind of a conscious moment, but uh, Mr. C, he is the best DJ that you can find in so many ways, in technique, in his musical knowledge. You can it. You would be hard pressed to find someone that knows as much as he does, and you can say, "Hey." What's that song that goes like do 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 do? And then it's got the vocals. So it's like, hey you. And he's like, oh yeah, it's a uh, it's that record. It's a uh, second song on uh, B side. Uh, came out in '73. Uh, this is who was on bass. And you're like, okay, all right, all right, cool. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and Catalog. and seeing that, I was like, my mind just said, you've got to listen to everything. You need to dig into everything that you possibly can. And, yeah, and that that was a huge change in 
in my production, out in the quality, the output, the approach in in everything was that was huge and and as was as was working with with richard in the studio that was a big moment as well and and i think for similar reasons as well um his career really started as a as a uh as an mc and and then as a ivor novella winning artist uh in a pop group called the shaman so he kind of you know he came from pop fame to uh to being a golden techno god as we say amazing it really i don't know i just think about like my my influences musically or engineering and, and mixing and you need to go outside your your box or else you you don't grow you know not that there's anything wrong with, you know, mastering one little thing in your box. Some people are like perfect at, you know, the most most amazing classical piano players that you've ever seen and they can't improvise through some jazz changes, but like no one can keep up with, with them as a classical player. But I think to be an all-round musician or producer, you need to go outside your box. It's only going to make you better. Yeah, I, I always have a conflict with with that whole idea too. And that you, you know, how diverse should your your knowledge base be, and and how focused should you? Yeah, there's the the old saying of jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. But I don't dangerous. I I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to buy that one. I think I think if you can, if you can find a way to fit it into your mental framework that's that's what helps you to diversify it's that mental the mental picture of really how different are these things and then it becomes a little bit easier that they're kind of very similar and related and that all of these things can apply to each other and that 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 has helped me uh try to do a lot of different things in my life well you're doing a good job at it you're doing doing a lot (laughs) of things really well diversification Uh, yeah all right well in closing then i got one last question i think you've listened to the show so you might know this is coming but what is your one big or one of your big goals right now uh and what is the first thing that you're going to do to go at that goal that is a very good question so the the biggest goal, uh, I have two really big projects that I am starting and it'll be a very different, um, approach for myself. So I'm doing a lot of planning. I'm creating a lot of systems and I am building my, my five and 10 year plans. I had kind of, um, you know, in the, the end the end of an era that gave me some time to to refocus and rethink exactly what I want to do and where I want to put my effort. So there's two two big projects that will be will be coming out and some some top secret stuff for right now, as I say. And and then of course there's always music, and I am also building a 
studio in my house. So one of the biggest things that I needed to do was to determine if I wanted to knock down a wall in my house. And I'm 99% convinced that I'm going to do that. So (laughs) I'll be knocking down a wall. There's that one. And then music, I I have an LP coming out next spring. But as the music comes out, I always want to have more in the bag. So there is a schedule that I keep for producing music. Instead of having large goals, I I like to keep to a schedule, keep my, my habits in order, and let the goals evolve as as they need to over time but those are my my areas of focus as it would be that's awesome you know there there's there you touched on a couple of things that i wish we would have we would hit on earlier the idea of like building habits for yourself and you know becoming consistent in what you're doing and utilizing that as a way to accomplish your goals i don't think enough people understand that that can be one of the easiest ways to get where you want to go yeah, just a little bit better every day, right? That's kind of the simplest. Exactly. That's and it's the simplest way to think about it. And you can almost be selfish with it because you can become one percent better, and it adds up. And magically, you are in a completely different place with completely different goals that are bigger than you would have ever imagined if you would have just woken up every day. You know, I I need I need to accomplish this. This is this is it. This is it. And yeah, and you, yeah. you you don't hold yourself back. So I really try hard not to focus on the big milestones, but to have ideas and keep my processes and write down my ideas and make roadmaps so that on my journey I know where I'm going and that I know that it's flexible and it can evolve. That's yeah. That's most important know that you can change every day. A lot of people can get uh can get thrown off their their road really quickly. Right. But yeah, I like to uh compare like uh a career or like trying to accomplish your goals to I mean it's like weightlifting. And it's you know, it's like you you lift weights every day and you do like one more rep and then you add five more pounds and you're doing two more reps and you don't realize it but then all of a sudden you're bench pressing significantly more than you were three years ago, but it just, it's like this incremental thing. And for some reason it makes so much sense in like an exercise, physical endurance type realm. Like everybody does it. Like if you run a mile for a week, then you're going to run like 1.2 miles the next week. But people don't look at their career that way for some reason. I don't know why that is because they know it works. I I think it's, you know, I've thought about that and it's, I do think, I, I think people fall into into two different areas where they they hear that incremental success adds up and and you can do it but a lot of people i would say most people and i'm sure i'm sure we've both experienced this that there's a there's a certain fear of knowing that it's going to take time to get somewhere and also that where you will end up is going to be different than how you are imagining it. And that lack of control can just disturb your sense of reality. 
you know, not, yeah. not knowing like, if I do this, then this will happen. And this will be the wonderful outcome that I desire. It, right. the, it doesn't work like that. But the great thing is that the outcome that you get, if you do put in the effort all the time and allow yourself to be flexible, to follow the signs in your life when something isn't working, it doesn't mean that it's broken. That maybe you can go a different direction. The outcome's going to be better than you expected. And that's yeah. That's kind of the that's the tough mental struggle. Just okay. I'm getting up every day. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the work, but that's it. You know, get up, do the work, and the outcome will surprise you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And just to jump back to where you, you said that you just had a period of reflection and you were shaping your five and 10 year plan. I also think that that's like, if you're doing this incremental commitment to just going down your path, you also need to make sure that you, like you said, you take a moment to reflect and see like, hey, you know what? I am killing it compared to what I was doing last year. And I didn't even realize it. Where can I go? Like, am, do I need to readjust where I'm going? Because those two things, they have to go hand in hand, for sure. For me, it's it's every day, wake up and on a piece of paper in a notebook, write down who you are and how your life is, but in the present yet future looking tense. So, you know, I am a successful person. My life is is wonderful. It's like this, it's like this, it's like this. And then... You know, the next day, do it again. And you'd be surprised what you desired and what you, who you wanted to be would be yeah. so different. And it's really wonderful to be able to have a notebook and flip back 10 pages and go, wow, what was I thinking last week? <laughs> you know? <laughs> So uh, I, I urge everybody to do, to do that when it's, it's so simple and so easy, but it's, it's also so hard to just, you know, every day, okay, I'm going to write down, you know, my life and, and all of this, but it feeds back and, and your brain, your brain processes it and it does affect you. It's, it's that whole, as we circle back to the input output, you know, feed your brain with the good stuff. So that's right. Make up the good stuff that you that you you want your brain to to eat. Process. Yeah, write it down every yes. day. Yeah, that's great. To totally, that's amazing. Well, that that's uh, we've gone in a circle now. We we've right. we closed it there out perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you want to? Um, I know you've got music coming out. Um, I, I want to tell everybody that they need to go to Noel's website and read the articles that he has up there because they're really really good. Uh, do you want to tell people where you are on the internet, your website, um, Spotify, whatever you want to share? So, uh, noeljackson.com and you can catch me on Spotify, just Noel, N-O-E-L, Jackson. On the Instagram, it's Noel D. Jackson. And Twitter, I am Noel, N-O-E-L. And that's where you can catch Take me. Take note that this man somehow got Noel on Twitter. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, awesome, dude. I will. All that will be in the show notes. We'll make sure there's links uh, and people should find you because you you have a lot to bring to a lot of different aspects. So 
um, everybody should be hanging out with Noel. I, I appreciate you having me on and it's, uh, it's been uh, wonderful to get to know you this year and really nice to chat on this show about all this, all this wonderful nonsense uh, and, and, you know, slightly practical ideas. And I'm, you know, it's nice. It's nice to hear. Uh, it's appreciated. Um, I'm always down for, for a good ramble as totally as it is. So, we'll, we'll so have to, we'll have so to do thank you for the, for the ramble yeah. opportunity. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for, for coming on and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll do yeah, my pleasure. Again. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. And that does it for episode 15. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate all of the uh, the shares, the messages. Please subscribe if you're enjoying the show. Share it with your friends. And do check out Noel's website. He has amazing articles there. And you can also chat with uh, him and many other people over on completeproducer.net. So come join in the conversation over there, and we'll see you next week.